Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is where I want to start tonight. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 talks about a situation that Jehoshaphat found himself in. Uh, And I'll just go ahead and we'll begin in verse 1 of 2 Chronicles. Tonight I want to talk to us about being established, having an established heart. Having an established heart. And it's not automatic just because you get saved. It's not automatic just because you attend church or own a Bible or own different versions of the Bible. You can, you can have all of those resources, but without the application of the word, without knowing how to take that word and put it to work in your life and apply it and feed on it and build those disciplines in the word, then it won't have the, the stabilizing effect that it's supposed to have. God wants our life to be stable Lives. He wants every one of us to enjoy his stability in our life. That means we're not moved by circumstances. We're not moved by bad news. We're not moved by uh, what's going on around us. Think of how many examples that you can just off the top of my head. I'm just going to think of some examples of, of what the word of God says. It says uh, that with, if we will meditate in the word, Psalm chapter 1 Verse 3 says, uh, if we will uh, meditate in the word night and day, that we will be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water, that our leaves shall not wither, and whatsoever we do will prosper. So a, a rooted tree isn't easy to move. It's, it's not an easily moved. The Bible talks about my feet shall not slip. It talks about that I'm applying the word and, and my, my path will be a firm path. It'll be a straight path. And so uh, we can think of some New Testament examples. He says, hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. He, he talks to us consistently about being steadfast and immovable. Steadfast and immovable. That's what God wants for us. How are we going to do that? Well, we can't do it in our emotions. Emotions are not stable. Right? They're up and down. We can't do it in, in our, ourselves naturally, the natural aspect of ourselves. We can't do it through our soulish realm, our mind, our will, and our emotions. We have to find the stability from the Word of God and establish that Word in our heart until our hearts are established and that we're not moved by news, any news. I'm not talking about just the news. I'm talking about... A phone call that brings bad news. I'm talking about uh, a, a, something you get in the mail that brings bad news. None of those things need to move us away from a position of peace. And so to, to find that is not automatic. We're going to have to purpose to be established people. We're going to have to purpose to establish our hearts in the word of God. 
So when we see 2 Chronicles, the first thing that I find in this is the way Jehoshaphat responded to the bad news. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 20, it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and them other besides the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. That's quite a troop. The Moabites, the Ammonites, and other besides the Ammonites. You got three different armies encamped round about their city. They came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There comes a great multitude against you from beyond the sea on this side of Syria, and behold, they be in a place that I'm not going to try to pronounce tonight. Amen. He said it was a great multitude. A great multitude. Three armies. A great multitude. This is beyond Jehoshaphat's capability. This is beyond what he can manage. This is bigger than what he has an answer for. And there are situations and circumstances that may try to arise in our lives. Listen, faith is not an absence of problems. It's the answer to the problems. The reason that I wrote Pressure No Problem, my first book, Pressure No Problem, is because the first time pressure hit me, I thought, what? I am saved now. I expected this before. I expected difficulty before, but I thought... What is the matter with me? Where did I go wrong? How did I miss it? Where did I sin? Where did I open the door? All of those questions can become distractions. <laughs> but the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers out of them all. So he wants us to be established so that when afflictions, difficulties, Problems, adversities come, we have roots into a supply of answers. We know how just to dig in the roots and not be moved. I love the example of a palm tree. Deborah, you know, it talks about Deborah in the book of Judges, and it, it talks about that she was established, she established her place to judge Israel by that palm tree. Why? Because when adversity comes, she knew how to sway but not break. And that's what a palm tree can do. A palm tree can experience some of the heaviest winds, the most ferocious uh, winds that come against, uh, but it, it bends and it'll bend all the way over and lay on the ground. But when the wind is over, when the battle stops and when the smoke clears, that palm tree comes right back up. Amen? And that's because it's rooted. It's rooted and it knows to stay connected. Don't let the roots go. But if you've seen uh, uh, just recently the storms that, that happened uh, throughout our nation, what do you see? Uprooted trees. Trees that came out of the ground because they weren't the kind of trees that could stand the wind. They weren't grounded trees. They weren't established trees. You are not those trees. You are not those trees that break under pressure. 
You are not those trees that, that lose their footing and lose their joy and lose their peace and lose their, their victory because of what's going on. You are the people who are instant in season and out. You are the people who are established in the word. And that means the fruit of the spirit is always in supply. The love of God is always in supply. The joy, the peace, the long suffering, the meekness, the temperance. We don't, there is no last nerve for the believer, for somebody to get on your last nerve. You, you got exempted. You are, you, it is possible for you to live and never find that last nerve again another day in your life. You're going to have to live in the spirit. You're going to have to walk in the spirit. But we shouldn't have the last nerve. We shouldn't have bad hair days. Hump Wednesdays, Freaky Fridays, Blue Mondays. Every day is a faith day for, the, for us, right? Every day is a joy day for us. Every day is a victory day for us. Why? Because we're in Christ. I have a root system. He's the vine. I'm the branch. I'm connected to the, the life of God himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a supply because I'm in Christ. And through Christ... No weapon formed against me shall be able to prosper. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Because of this connection, I have a strength. And so I want you to look at the response Jehoshaphat gives to this news that comes to him about something that is far beyond his capacity to deal with. Jehoshaphat, it says he set himself, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. So when fear came, what did he respond with? Fear can come to any of us. It's how we respond to it. We, what is the first thing he does? I'm going to God. I'm seeking the Lord about this. He, and he set himself. That's a commitment. That's a I'm not leaving here till I get an answer kind of commitment. It's like I'm, I'm not leaving here till I have the note of victory. There was a man whose uh, daughter was on the mission field. This would have been back in the early 50s. And uh, it, there was a story of it in one of the Pentecostal evangels. And um, this man, his daughter, uh, of course, back in, in that day, there wasn't very uh, prompt communications. He couldn't get a telegram. He lived out in the country. He got up one morning. And he is starting the wood fire in his wood-burning fireplace. And the Spirit of the Lord tells him to begin to pray for Blanche. That was his daughter's name. You ever heard Brother Hagin tell the story about Blanche? And so this man gets on his knees, and he's praying for his daughter, Blanche. She's on the mission field with her husband, and he has no way of knowing what's going on. His wife comes in, and she finds her husband on his knees praying. They're praying in the Spirit. She gets down, she joins him, and they pray until after lunchtime. The cows are mooing, the chickens are clucking, the pigs are squealing, none of the animals have been fed, none of the farm work has gone on, nothing has moved since they got this impression of the Lord. They're on their knees praying for Blanche, and, and they didn't stop praying for Blanche until they got a note of victory. In the praying, in the praying, when they got the note of victory, the man stood up and he said, everything will be okay now. And then they went on about their day. 
And it was weeks before they got the news that on that same day they had come in and put the blanket over her, the sheet over her head to pronounce her dead of this uh, um, uh, uh, something that was sweeping through that nation that there wasn't any kind of uh, uh, treatment for. And they said she had died. And in the praying, she came back to life. She pulled that sheet from off of her head and got up and walked out of their hole and healed. My point is, he knew to wait for a note of victory. He knew to set himself to seek the Lord until that victory was, was recognized. This is why we need established hearts. Because if we are emotional believers... We're not going to be able to identify that victory note of the Spirit. If we're emotionally driven people, we won't, we'll, we'll be driven by how our emotions feel. And we'll talk like our emotions feel. And we'll respond to the situation out of that emotions. We have emotions. Now, I'm going to help all the ladies because I've had over the years, when I've we, Pastor and I teach about this, a lot of times the men go home and say, you heard, Pastor, quit being emotional. You are not the emotional police. God gave us emotions. And ladies... We tend to be more, more inclined to have those emotions operating, and it's part of our nature because we are mothers. Most of us are mothers. We are the nurturers. We are the ones who are kissing the boo-boos and, and uh, setting the thermostats in the house. Amen? So we are more inclined to be aware of and and responding but as believers we learn not to let them drive us we learn not to let them make our decisions we learn not to give them the improper position or place in our life but we learn to walk by the spirit and the bible says in hebrews chapter 4 that the word of god is a discerner between the soul and the spirit that's help for us because the emotions are in the soul. And I need to know, is, is this just me being emotional or is this the spirit of God leading me to do something? The word will help us recognize that dividing line. So when we are people who are established in our heart, our spirit is our heart. When, our, when we are established to be living out of our spirit, responding out of our spirit, making our decisions from our spirit, when we're learning how to be led by the spirit of God in our spirit, when we're walking these things out, we need to be able to identify peace. And, and that note of victory is how, how that man explained it. He, he said he got a note of victory in prayer. Well, generally, the Bible talks about peace. It says that you will be led forth with peace. You'll go out with joy, but be led forth with peace. Right? He says in the New Testament that peace acts like an umpire. Do you know what? And that's the New Testament, the Amplified Version's phrase, 
of it, the way the Amplified says it, that the peace of God uh, will act like as an umpire. And you know what an umpire does? An umpire will make the call. We don't always agree with the call, but if peace is making the call, it's always right. If God's making the call, and he, so the peace of God tells us whether it's a safe decision. The peace of light is like a green light. And if there's an absence of peace, that means it's a red light, don't move. No matter how much they tell you you've got a deadline for it, no matter how much they tell you you've got to move now, you've got to make the decision now, there's only three left in stock, buy it today. I'm not moved by your inventory. Amen. Amen? What are we moved by? What are we driven by? What are we led by? What are we guided by? The Holy Spirit using peace to identify to us what is the will of God. Well, if your life is a chaos life, how are you going to know what peace feels like? If there's so much going on, if there's so much chaos, if there's not... An atmosphere of peace, if there's not a practicing of peace, if, if it's always something going on. And I'm just not, I've been in, in times, and I'm still in a time where it's a very active season. You know, we're, we're pastoring a church that has two locations and two languages. Amen. Gloria al Señor. And so there's a lot of activity. But that doesn't mean that there's a lack of peace. I've got to learn how to have peace guarding my life and governing my activities so that I can identify if God... There's been some times even in this past year and this year that we've had plans and the Lord, when the peace lifted off that plan, we backed off the plan. Amen. Travel plans, a, a vacation we had planned. When, when the peace lifted off of it, we're not going. We're not going. Cancel the tickets. Why? Because if I don't have peace, it's not for me. Amen. Amen? So Jehoshaphat set himself to seek the Lord, and then he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So proclaiming a fast, a fast doesn't move God. Fasting is, is a, a, an important part of our spiritual walk. But it doesn't move God. It just shuts your flesh down. And, and when you first start fasting, you think it makes your flesh talk louder. Because your flesh is screaming at you, feed me! Come on and feed me! And it's like every cheeseburger commercial will come on when you're trying to fast, you know, in the wrong... You need to like all the, the pizza coupons come in the mail and in your email. It's like they have the greatest deals and you're like, your flesh doesn't... But it really does limit the, the strength of your flesh. It brings your flesh down so that your spirit has a greater ease in receiving from God, in understanding and hearing from God. And so he proclaimed a fast. Why? Because we need to hear from God. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. And so do they need help? They need help. But did they just automatically think help's coming? Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be open. Asking is the law of the kingdom, pastor teaches us. It's a rule of the kingdom. We can't get past the asking. Ask in faith, nothing wavering. So there needs to be an asking. They're going to ask help of the Lord. 
And they came out to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, Now we're about to hear a great pattern. When you're in trouble, when you're dealing with things you don't know how to deal with, we have, we have a pattern. And you know what? I'm going to compare it to the way they prayed over in Acts chapter 4. Because they didn't start out talking about the problem there, and neither did Jehoshaphat here start out telling God the problem. God knows. He knows, every, he knows things about your problem you don't even know. He knows things about what we're facing. He knows things about what's going to Hear, Hear me. God knows what the devil has planned to attack you with. If you'll get close to God, God will put you out in front of every attack of the devil. He'll put you out in front of every situation. He does not want you to be caught off guard. He does not want you to, 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 to have to look, I, I use the phrase this more, surprise, surprise, surprise. He doesn't want you. Golly. No, not for us. No, he wants us to be, the Lord told me that. God told me that. Yeah, God, God told me that in prayer. God prepared me for that. God's been speaking to me about that. So they asked of the Lord. They came to seek the Lord. They asked of the Lord. And let's hear how he prays. Verse 6. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in your hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand you? So who's getting all the glory? God's getting the glory. There are three armies standing outside his door. And he's not even mentioned how big that multitude is. Of the adversity or the enemy is. He's talking about how big God is. How great and powerful and full of might. You are the one in charge. You are the one who rules. You are the one who. Ha there, are, there are none. There is none. None. No one can stand against you. Amen. So he's establishing from the beginning, where his help is going to come from. Are you not our God who did drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the seed of Abraham, your friend, forever? Now he's rehearsing some of the great things God has already done. So the first thing we do is we establish who God is. We, we establish he is greater than the adversity that we're facing. Secondly, we begin to rehearse, and not just in, in our mind, but glorifying him with how he brought us through. Glorifying him. That's what rejoicing is. Rejoicing is remembering. Rejoicing is a remembering. When we're praising God, we're praising God for things he's done. When we're worshiping, we're worshiping for who he is. But the Bible says we enter the gate with thanksgiving. The next step is praise. Then we get into the place of worship. So that place of praise is an important entrance. 
that place of rejoicing and remembering who God is and how he has established victory for us in the past. And God, you brought me through. And God, you helped me out. And God, you showed me this. And God, you gave me. I mean, we should, we will never run out of things to say thank you for. If you'll train yourself to be a thankful, to cultivate a lifestyle of thanksgiving, to cultivate that life of praise, and constantly be reminding God, God, you made a way for me. God, you brought me out. God, I remember the day you saved me. God, I remember the day you set me free. Oh, Lord, I remember the day that you gave me the victory in that area of my life. Rejoicing. And so then he says, verse 8, And they dwelt therein and have built you a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil comes upon us as the sword, judgment or pestilence or famine, if we stand before this house and in your presence, for your name is in this house, and if we cry unto you in our trouble, our affliction, then you will hear and help. So we're doing what you told us to do. We're not going to fall apart. We're not going to worry. We're not going to get anxious. We're going to come to you because you said you would hear us. You said if we get in trouble that we need to come to you and and call upon your name and you will hear us and help us. Hallelujah. So this is what God told them to do and this is what he's doing. He has still not mentioned the problem. But he does. But notice it's at the end of the prayer. And it's not getting a whole lot of glory. For us to glorify the problem is detrimental to our faith. For us to go to God and start with the problem and and talk the details to God about the problem... It weakens our faith because what you meditate on the longest becomes the strongest in your life. And if you're meditating on the problem, it's becoming strong. So that's why Jehoshaphat in this example is meditating on the power of God, the ability of God, the strength of God, the dominion of God, the help of God before he even discusses the problem. Faith doesn't deny the problem. We don't negate the problem. We don't go around saying, uh, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. That's not a faith statement. That would be like God stepping out in Genesis chapter 1 saying, it's not dark, it's not dark, it's not dark. Did that produce anything? Did, Did a negative denying of the situation produce anything? No, how do we produce something? We call those things that be not as though they were. We d- Faith does not deny what is. It calls what is not in manifestation that should be in manifestation. So faith is going to take the word and call it into manifestation. By his stripes I am healed. Saying I'm not sick, there's no faith in that. But taking the scripture that contains healing in it. You know, 1 Peter 2.24, there's healing in them, their words. 
There's healing in them there words. There's healing in those. They contain, that's how you can get healing out of them. There's water in this bottle. That's how I can get water. If there were no water in this bottle, if, there was, if this bottle had no water in it, I couldn't get water out of it. But because there's water in it, I can get water out of it. Faith for healing is in 1 Peter 2.24. Faith for peace is in Philippians chapter, chapter 4. Faith for love is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I need love, I can go get some. Because I've got a supply of it in 1 Corinthians 13. I got a supply of peace right here in this scripture. I got a supply of healing. I've got a supply, but I've got to know how to pull it out of the seed bag and put it into the ground where it's going to produce the harvest of what I'm trying to produce. So when, when we recognize that we're not trying to deny that there's a problem, we're trying to confront the problem. We're trying to deal with the problem by the word of God. We go to God. God said he's going to help us. He begins to explain, verse 10, Now behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, when you would not let it, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but you turned, they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say they reward us, to come to cast us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh God, will you not judge them? For we have no might against this great company. Now there are some people that would think that was a doubt statement. There are some people who have a misconception about how faith is operated and they would think that's a doubt statement. If, you're, if you come up in a prayer line to get prayer for something and the minister says, what are you coming for prayer for? And you say, well, I don't want to confess it. You explaining what's attacking your body is not a declaration of doubt. When he said, we have no might against this great company, that was a fact. It's not doubt for him to express that in ourselves, God, we can't do this without you. It's not doubt to say, this situation is happening in my life. It's not doubt to say what the situation or the problem is. Do you see the difference between rehearsing the problem and explaining what I'm dealing with? There's a difference. There's a difference in my Time as pastor, there have been times that I've seen people walk in that back door and they stop at five or six different people before they come to me. With, and, and now I know by the time they get to me, I've overheard them telling the same story to five or six different people. And so they're going around and they're saying, 
let me tell you what I'm dealing with. I've been dealing with this, and this situation happened in my life, and I just don't know what I'm going to do about it. And it happened, and they called me, and they told me this, and then and then this, he got arrested, and then this happened, and I just don't know what I'm going to do. And, oh, it's, thank you for praying for me, sister. And, oh, let me tell you about my situation. And, and I was this and this and this, and then I got the phone call about this, and then they came, and they arrested him, and I just don't know what I'm going to do. And please pray for me. And, oh, let me tell you what happened to me. And, and it happened. It was so horrid. It was just terrible. And then they called me. And then they came to my house. And then, you know, and so six different times that story has been rehearsed. And you know what I know at that point? You have not cast that care upon the Lord. <laughs> you haven't successfully prayed about it if you've got to rehearse it. Amen. If you've got to tell it that many times. If it, when I go to God and I've come to him and I've dealt with it, there may be, there are times, there are certain things that God has had me call my pastor about. And call and say, Pastor, as the person that God has placed in a position over my life, I need your agreement with me. And if there's any area of wisdom that God speaks to you about this. But when it's settled, I don't need to rehearse it to everybody else. I don't need to go around because then I'm just emotionally rehearsing the pain of it. And you know what's happening? It's building momentum. The wrong thing is building momentum. But it's not wrong to, when you're confronting it in prayer or with your pastor to say, Pastor, or, or if it, you've got somebody that is a good brother, sister in Christ who is faithful to pray with you about that situation, it's not doubt for you to say, I'm believing God that this is going to change. This is what the report is. This is what it looks like. This is what has happened. There is a difference. Are y'all seeing the difference between rehearsing it emotionally and confronting it with a spiritual confrontation? And now I'm going to pray about it. And now that I've prayed about it, I'm going to cast the care about it. And I'm going to stick with the word about it from this moment on. So what Jehoshaphat said here was not a doubt statement. And we've got to know the difference because some people get a little bit kooky about faith. And they, they in that won't uh, make the right faith connection. From Matthew 8 to work where it says, where any two shall agree as touching anything, I got to know what I'm agreeing with. If you don't tell me, I can. You can't say, well, I don't want it. It's a bad confession. No, for you to explain what is happening is not a confession that is authorizing it to continue to happen. Amen. But here, if you say... This is, a, this, this is the wisdom of God. God will give you wisdom to be able to explain something without having to give it power. He'll give us wisdom to do it. You remember me telling you the story about every time after church, a family member would come and say, hey, we're going to get something to eat. And because, you know, all of our kids were little and for us to go out to eat, it was paying for five. And for them to go out to eat, you know, they had one child and so... And we were limited financially. We were believing God. We were trying to break out of that. Every time they would come and ask me, hey, we're going to get something to eat. Do you want to come? I said, I don't have money to go out to eat. I don't have money to go out to eat. I don't have money to go out to eat. And finally, the Lord began to play that back to me in my ears. I don't have money. 
Well, it was, that was a true statement. I didn't have it in my budget to go out to eat at that time. But me saying that was empowering that. So the Lord said, put a roast in the crock pot. And when they come and ask you, say, I've already got dinner in the crock pot. Thank you very much. Why? Because my response wasn't, it, it wasn't intentional for me to confess it. But I was authorizing its continuance by saying, I don't have, I don't have. And that's why, remember what the Lord uh, told uh, Keith Moore, never say, uh, I, I can't, or, and, and he, he, pastor also, he, he dealt with pastor or something along this line. Never say, I can't. Never say, I don't understand. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And uh, we, we don't say, I don't understand because... He ha we have the mind of Christ. We can understand. Amen. And so we, we learn how to recognize a, a, a way to say something that's not authorizing its activity in our life. To authorize its continuance. But it's not, it's not doubt to explain to someone what's going on. When he says this, he says... We have no might against this great company that comes against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mathaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation." And he said, hearken ye, all Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you king of Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. Don't look at the problem. Don't let the problem initiate discouragement in you. Don't let the problem move you. What are we trying to be established? Established believers, established hearts. I shall not be moved. He says, don't be dismayed by reason of the multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go ye down against them. Now he's giving them instruction. The battle is not yours, but you will go out against them. Go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff. Now we've got insight. We've got God's putting them ahead of the battle to know exactly where the enemy's going to attack. They thought they were sneaking up on them. No. God says, I'm going to tell you where they're coming. I'm going to tell you where to meet them. I'm going to tell you how to defeat that. I'm going to go ahead and put you on, on a plan in your study time that's going to have you so established in peace the enemy's not going to move you away from that. I'm going to go ahead and put that series in your car and you've been listening to it and then the adversity comes and you're like, I've been listening to the answer for three days on that one. Right? I'm going to go ahead and have your pastor preaching on something and then when the situation arises, you're like, thank you, Jesus. Amen? He says, you go down against them, 
They will come up by the cliff of Ziz, and you shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. So I want you to go out, and I want you to meet them. You will not need to fight in this battle. You won't, I want you to go out. I want you to go out against them. You will go out against them, but you will not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Fear not is a major component of every situation you will face. Never, ever, 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 ever allow the fear to operate. We must be skilled in living a fear-free life. Fear is in, we, we are intolerant of fear. Okay, say this with me. I will never be afraid. Another day in my life. You can do it. There's enough fear knots in the Bible. Put them in your heart and in your mouth. Never do you see Jesus saying, I understand. I'm good with that. It's okay that you were afraid of that. No, he, he said to his disciples, Why did you fear? Why did you fear? The book of Isaiah, he says, fear not, I'm with you. Hey! Know you not, you are the temple. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Why would we fear if we have an, an understanding of who is in us? So fear is contraband. Fear is contraband. I worked as a guard at the juvenile detention center. And I had to pat the girls down sometimes. Because we knew they were carrying some contraband. You get caught with contraband. You don't want to get caught with contraband. You don't want the Holy Spirit patting you down saying, uh, I found fear in your pocket. What you doing with that fear? You know fear is not allowed. I told you, it's in the rules, fear thou not. It's possible. You can't stand before God and say, I couldn't help it. He's going to say, mm, yeah, you could. Thou shalt not fear. You are not a fearer. You're a believer. Fear is like putting diesel in a gasoline engine. Don't do it. Don't do it. It destroys the engine. If you try to put fear in your heart, it tears up your heart. It tears it up because it's the wrong fuel for your heart. You're not supposed to fear. That's why Jesus said in Luke, I think it's chapter 24, he said in the last days men's hearts will fail them. Why? For fear of things that haven't even happened yet. 
So that's just the, the dread of something that they're talking about happening. And what does it do to the heart? It causes spiritual heart failure. Jesus never used the natural heart when he was teaching on the heart. He was always talking about the spirit of man. So when he says men's hearts will fail them for fear, he's talking about not Sanford and Son. <laughs> he's talking about the spiritual heart. They're going to try to believe God, but they're practicing fear so much and allowing the operation of fear in their heart that they're going to say, I'm going to believe God now. But they've got all that diesel in their gasoline engine. Now I'm going to make it work. Not if you've been practicing fear. You, the, the weapons of our warfare, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, the weapons of our warfare, weapons of our warfare, the weapons of our warfare, the weapons of our warfare, pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations, taking every thought captive. That's how you fight. That's how you win. If you don't do those, we, you don't win. Pulling down strongholds. A stronghold is, is something, is a thought pattern that has had so much activity that it has built a fortress in the mind. It has a, it has a strong place. In the, in the Old Testament, the word meant a refuge. But by the time it reached the New Testament time and age, it meant a heavily well-guarded prison from which there was no escape. But the weapons of our warfare are mighty. We can pull down those fortresses of wrong thinking. We can pull down... So if there's a fear... And you recognize, I've got a fear of that. Don't compromise with it. Don't allow it. Don't, uh, don't, don't just do something so that you're not having to... Go ahead and say, I'm going to overcome that. I'm going to overcome that. I, I don't fear. I don't fear. Why? I'm a believer. God is my God. I'm blood washed. Why would I fear? Do you know it says that through the fear of death, Satan held people in bondage. Hebrews chapter 2. It says that Jesus came to deliver those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So fear is a chain that holds people in slavery to, to the enemy's devices. So what do we do? We take thoughts captive, we cast down imaginations, we pull down strongholds, and we do not permit fear to have any opportunity. Is, is, is fear, have you given your bouncer the list of what's allowed in the, in the door of your mind? I mean, you do have a bouncer at the door of your mind, right? Heavily well-armed, big, yeah, got a bouncer at the door of your mind, you know, Philippians 4, we got the list. Whatsoever things are good... Whatsoever things are pure, just, honest, good report, there be any praise, if there be any virtue, think on these things. Is fear on that list? Then your bouncer shouldn't be letting it in. Can't, if, you, if, if the fear's getting in, fire that bouncer. Get you a new bouncer. You need to make sure we do not. No, 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 no. How did that thought get in my mind? 
Did it get in my mind because that commercial said, if you have restless leg syndrome, turn that commercial, mute. You should know where the mute button is. I mean, quick draw. Boom, mute that thing. I'm not listening to that. I'm not listening to them go through a whole list of things so that your mind, see, your mind is trained to respond to whatever's going into it. And if the question is going into your mind, do you have this symptom? Do you have this symptom? Your mind is going to try to answer that question. Do I have that? You know, I did kind of feel something in my leg the other day. You know, sometimes I do feel a little tingle or whatever. No, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Casting down imaginations. Thoughts are not harmless. Thoughts aren't harmless. They're containers. God puts his thoughts in his words so he can get his thoughts into us. And that's how we get victory. And it's the same way the devil defeated even Adam. Got them to fall. He put his thoughts into words and came and said, Did God say... No, no, you shall not surely die. (laughs) He's just trying to keep you from how good that tree is. He doesn't want you to have the knowledge you're going to get from that tree. You shall not surely die. That wasn't God's thoughts. But how did it get into Eve? She heard it, and it produced a a thought pattern in her. And she allowed that thought pattern to have operation. Take thoughts captive. If you want an established heart, you better renew your mind. We won't have established hearts with unrenewed minds. If our mind is unprotected, if our mind is loosey-goosey, if our mind, if, if, if the enemy can just put a thought in your mind and have you going... In every different direction. How can we be established? Renewing the mind. Is bringing our mind under subjection to the word of God. And renewing those old thought patterns. With God's new thought patterns. With his thought patterns. So that we think like. You know it's really easy to think. To talk with people who think like you think. It's, it's easy, for instance, if um, mechanics get together, they can talk about things that, I'm lost, hydraulics and, yeah, sports, linebackers, I don't know where they stand. I don't know the difference between a linebacker, a fullback, a quarterback. I've heard all of the names, but I don't know where they should be on the field. I mean, I I was finally glad. I went to enough soccer games when my son played soccer that I finally figured out what offsides meant because I kept thinking, hey, they're they're winning. No, they're offsides. What? Offsides? Aren't you supposed to get out in front? No, they're offsides. Offsides? What do you mean offsides? I was up cheering and everybody else saying, be quiet, they're offsides. (laughs) 
I thought the point was to get the ball down there. No, you can't get out in front of whatever other team member because it makes it illegal because you're all sides. You've got to understand those things. If you understand God's thoughts, it's easy to have a conversation with him and you won't be cheering at the wrong time. <laughs> you won't be going, woohoo! And God's being like, no, no, no. That was illegal. The more, the more renewing of the mind, the more understanding we have, the easier it is for God to communicate his plan to us and for us to walk with him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God told them they're going to go out, but he told them they won't fight. What do you do with that? God told them to stand, but he said you won't fight. Now, I've heard many preachers who I love say that God told them to send praisers out first, but I can't find it. I can't find it. Can we read the rest of it? You tell me if you see it when we read this. That God said, send the praisers out. Let's read. Jehoshaphat, verse 18, bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice. So they're praising God for this answer. And they rose early in the morning and went forth to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. That's what we want. So faith takes us into a life that is built on the word. He said, if you believe in the Lord, you will be established. If you believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord. And that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Where did God tell them to send the praise team out? It was not a specific instruction from God, but it was an expression of their faith. God said, we won't need to fight. We will go out and we'll stand, but we won't need to fight. So we, so we believe that. And because we believe that, let's just put the praise out in front. Because we already believe we won't fight. I don't need the cavalry in front if I'm not fighting. I don't need the swordsmen or the archers in front if I'm not fighting. If I'm not fighting, but I'm winning, I might as well put my praise out front. Because I believe God. I believe God. And God said for us to go out and he told us to position ourselves and to stand, but he said not to fight, so we might as well praise him. Amen. So they chose to praise God. They chose. He, he consulted with the people and said, hey, I got a great idea. 
since we're not fighting, let's just go ahead and send the praise team out first. And let's just worship God in advance for this victory that we're about to experience against this multitude of innumerable adversity against us that we have no way in our ability and our strength and our manpower to confront them. But God, he's going to do it. So let's go ahead and let's praise him now. Let's thank him now. Let's rejoice in it now. Amen. And when they began to sing and to praise. When they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they'd made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. The enemy turned on themselves. And Jehoshaphat and his people didn't lift a sword. It says, when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked into the multitude, and behold, there were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the recompense, the reward, the spoil, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so three days. Three days because it was so much. They didn't ask for that problem. They didn't invite that problem. But God rewarded them for trusting him through that problem. God rewarded them for their faith. And they three days to reap the reward. Hallelujah. We are people who are established in the word of God. Stand with me to your feet tonight. Oh, thank you, Father, for establishing us. We don't want to be people who are emotionally led, mentally led, led by things, led by how it feels, how it looks. Lord, we don't want to be led by opportunity. Father, we want to be led by your spirit. We want to know peace and follow peace. We want to have lives that are established in your word. Hearts that are established in your word. And I pray for each and every person, Father, to develop in your word. So that establishing, that root system is produced in their spirit. So that they are not moved away from the truth and the life and the help that is available in your word. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah.